born in church, you're born in church online. My name is Neil and I'm one of the pastors here and we're going to open up the scriptures together this morning. We are in the middle of a deep dive into the letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Paul was a brilliant Jewish thought leader and he hated Christians. He thought they were fools. He bullied them. He argued with them. He tried to tear apart the Christian religion. But then Jesus showed up in Paul's life so clearly one day that as Paul looked to the sun, the only thing Paul could do was devote the rest of his life to Jesus' mission. Paul focuses all of his philosophical and oratory skills to tell everyone the life-changing news of the grace and the power and the love that God is extending to the entire world, that there is more than meets the eye to this life, and it all centers on Jesus Christ. Now today in our sermon series, we are literally in the midpoint of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We've preached through chapters 1 to 3, and today we're going to begin chapters 4 to 6. Paul wrote his letter with a clear structure. Chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. You'll see this as you read it. Um, For us grammar lovers in the room, chapters 1 to 3 are the indicative. Paul pointing out who we are. Chapters 4 to 6 are the imperative. All about what we do based on who we are. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul presents the glorious good news that Jesus Christ has defeated evil and that all of us are adopted into God's family. Some of the most soaring, the most beautiful descriptions of life with God in the entire Bible are in these chapters. In chapters 4 to 6, Paul works out the implications of this soaring good news in our everyday life. Some of the most difficult relational dynamics are presented in what we'll read in the coming weeks. Now, John Stott, one of the 20th century's great biblical scholars, he puts it this way. John Stott says, For three chapters, Paul has been unfolding for his readers the eternal purpose of God being worked out in history. Through Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and was raised from death, God is creating something entirely new, not just new life for individuals, but also for a new society. Paul sees an alienated humanity being reconciled, fractured humanity being united, even a new humanity being created. It's a magnificent vision, John says. Now, the apostle moves from describing the new society to developing the new standards which we are expected to live in. So, let us turn now to chapters 4 to 6. Grace Chin is going to lead the way for us. As Grace comes up to read scripture, please open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. If you are uh, grabbing one of the blue Bibles near you, it's on page 977, or you can open it up on the Bible you brought on your app. Um, And let me just tell you that these verses are all about the church. The implications of chapters 1 to 3, Paul now turns to focus on the church. So Grace... Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Grace. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we believe and trust that you inspired Paul to see what is more than meets the eye and to grasp these realities and then write them down accurately. And we pray now that you help us to hear what you want us to hear from this passage today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. You'll want to follow along this morning. Paul begins his imperatives, focus on the church. Because, his, because God is adopting people into his new family, the church, in chapters 1 to 3, the first thing we have to come to terms with in this new reality is how do we live as a church. Paul develops a body metaphor to help us understand what the church is all about. You'll see it in verse 4. There is one body. And verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is doing its work properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And as I thought about this body metaphor, it occurred to me that I needed to talk to Doug Gross. Doug is a longtime member of our church, and he is also the senior lecturer, a senior lecturer at UC Davis. This quarter, you can find him directing all of the human anatomy courses. He's also teaching neuroanatomy 
and teaching human architecture and function. And in addition to educating medical students, Doug is a practicing pediatrician at the UC Davis Med Center. And as you can imagine, Doug knows the human body. So I got to sit down at Doug's kitchen table this week and listen to his perspective on Paul's body metaphor and the implications for our church. And the result of that conversation, and then my own reflection on Ephesians 4, is what I'd like to call Doug and Neil's 10-point sermon. You know, a good sermon has one point, so my 10-point sermon is probably going to be 10 times as good. Am I right? Hopefully it's not 10 times as long. Think of this as a UCD lecture where a lot of content is packed into a small sermon. I'm not joking. We're going to have 10 points this morning. If you're a note taker, you'll love this. If you're not a note taker, today is the day to become a note taker. So take some notes. Pull out the notes app on your phone. Write something down. And then debrief with your friends or your small group later this week. These are key points. And my 10 points about the church are all centered around this one theme in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Jesus is giving you a vital role in his body. Are you ready? Point number one. Point number one is that Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 15 says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, if I could ask each of you what comes to mind when you think of the church, I'm guessing some of you will tell me about the toys that you played with and the stories you remember in Sunday school and the feel of the room during the church potlucks. Some of you will tell me, though, about the church hurt that you've lived through or the rejection you felt when the pastor you admired treated you badly. You might tell me how you wonder if the church is irrelevant because all your friends seem to think so. Or you might tell me how you encountered Jesus when your small group was opening up the scripture one night and your life has never been the same since. All of these aspects are true of the church. But if you ask the Apostle Paul what comes to mind when he thinks of the church, I'm guessing that the first word out of his lips would be Jesus. When the Apostle Paul thinks of the church, he thinks of Jesus. Because what's more than meets the eye about this church and about every church in the world is that Jesus is the head of the church. It's not the pastors or the priests or the ministers or the elders who are in charge of the church. It is Jesus. Jesus sets the pulse of the church. Jesus directs its movements. Our job is simply to stay connected to the head. And without staying connected to Jesus, the church is as functional as a body. That is not staying connected to its head. So FBC, do we function with Jesus as our head? Do we always function with Jesus as our head? If Jesus is the head and not the church leaders, what, according to Paul, is the purpose of the church leaders? Well, point number two, the purpose of church leaders is to equip you. I used to think pastors and missionaries were the best Christians. They were the super spiritual people who really devoted their life to Jesus Christ. But that's not what Paul thinks. Verse 11, And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip 
the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul asserts that the purpose of church leaders is to get down low and build everybody else up, to equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. Now, at our church, we conflate apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers into one title, which is a little bit confusing, but I didn't want to add an 11th point to my sermon. So all I want to say today is to emphasize that pastors, these church leaders, are not the ones Jesus calls to do the work of ministry. At FBC, your staff are here to equip you, protect you, and point you in the right direction for all of us together to live out the purpose of the body of Christ. From Doug's anatomical perspective, this means that church leaders are much less like the muscles and the hands and the heart of the church and much more like osteoblasts and osteoclasts. They're really tiny. You can barely see them on this detailed slide, but the osteoblasts right here form new bone. There are little cells that form new bone when a bone is broken. They come along and they build it up. And the osteoclasts come along and then smooth out and remove some of the excess bone so that the bone has its proper shape. Or, Doug said, and I did laugh out loud at his kitchen table when he said this, we are like, us church leaders are like, the mucosal lining that is around all orifices of the body, the nose, the mouth, the eyes, etc. We're part of the immune system that keeps things working as God has intended it to work. So I'm here, the church staff is here to play a supporting role to equip you to do your job in the body of Christ. FBC, is this how you understand the relationship that you have with your pastors? Paul has more to say about this. Point number three, these gifts are not just for the paid staff. We are all gifted by Jesus. Jesus doesn't just give gifts of being a pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher. Once people become paid church staff. I know that's obvious, but have you ever thought about that? Yes, we do pay some people so they can devote more of their time. So they can direct FBC kids so they can pastor teens in Davis, so they can preach and develop our community. But Jesus has also given gifts to lots of other people in our church who are not paid staff. The apostolic gift to courageously lead people while fixing your eyes on Jesus. The prophetic gift to creatively and faithfully call people to join God's mission in our world. The evangelistic gift to not live one life at church and another at work, but honestly share the truth with others about who God is and what he's doing in your life so that people who do not know God can hear the good news. The pastoral gift to nurture and protect and guide and the teaching gift to meet people at the intersection of their life and the scriptures. So many of you in this room have been given these gifts by Jesus and the church body needs you to use them. Some of our best pastors and evangelists and teachers are not paid staff. Now, what's more is Paul is saying that Jesus has given gifts and roles and influence to his body 
to each and every person beyond the five roles that he mentions here. We know these five roles in Ephesians 4 are not an exhaustive list because Paul writes about this body metaphor in other letters, in other churches, and he lists other gifts that he doesn't mention here. There are more than 15 types of gifts that Paul lists. And further, Paul says in verse 7 of our text that Christ ascended on high and gave gifts to all people, each and every one of us has been gifted a role in the body of Christ. And FBC is not a fully functioning body without you being active in your role. Which means, point number four, that you are the most important part of the church. And as point number four says, okay, really, it's all of us together. And Christ is the most important part. But I want to put that a little hyperbolically because it may surprise you, but it's your job. To do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. So don't get distracted by the fact that you don't have the role that someone else has. Focus on the role that Jesus Christ, the head, has given you. Doug Gross said um, that the church, or the unity of the church, is like the body. The human body is one compilation of many, many, many different parts at hugely different levels. There's the gross anatomy that you can see, but then there's the microscopic anatomy and the cellular anatomy and the molecular anatomy and all of this stuff that all fits together to make this mostly perfectly working body. And when I think about FBC, I don't just think about the staff. I think about the hundreds of people who are using their gifts in so many different ways. I think about Irene Chu. Uh, She and I grabbed coffee this week, and we talked about this passage also. Irene has been part of our church since the 90s. She uses her Jesus-given gifts in FBC as a longtime youth leader, pointing hundreds of teens like these to Christ. She pointed me to Christ when I was in youth group. She has led mission trips to Honduras and developed friendships with an orphanage there. She's been a strong part of her home group, and she relationally supports many FBCers. Irene encourages me, and she is open about her ideas and her critiques of me and of our church. And I am grateful that she is in my life. The body of Christ is made up of a billion parts, each doing its work. Point number five, if you don't know your purpose yet, it's not because you don't matter. Your uncertainty, consider this, your uncertainty about your role in the body of Christ could be part of what the Holy Spirit is doing to grow your trust and grow the connection between you and Jesus Christ. Doug said that sometimes the medical community doesn't know the purpose for something in the body. And so they kind of conclude that that thing must be irrelevant. It's just an appendage or something. You know, I've heard for a long time that we don't know what the appendix is for, and so it's fine if you remove it because it's completely unnecessary. But Doug thinks the reality is simply that we haven't discovered the function yet. But it's still important. Otherwise, it wouldn't be present in the body. Everybody should swarm Doug after the service and ask him to tell the story about the brain and the nerve bundles that people used to think were not effective and important. He has a great story. But it turns out, back to the appendix, that it is full of immune cells. 
and it has a role in our immune system. And the same is true of our church. You might not yet know what your role is in this church, but it doesn't mean you don't matter. It means that part of discovering your role will include seeking God, trusting him, and reflecting on your life and your longings. The Apostle Paul himself took years for God to show him what his role was. From the time Jesus encountered him on that road to Damascus to the time he began his work as an apostle, preaching and teaching and writing these letters, do you know how many years went by? Fourteen years for Paul to slowly grow his trust and relationship with God, the head, until he was able to fill out his function in the body. Now, this is one reason that we as a church meet in small groups throughout the week, to help each other discover our gifting and live out our role in the body of Christ. This is why Lighthouse has a serving and leading team so that teens can try different ways to serve and discover their passion. This is why we go on retreats, like the men's and women's and teens retreat that are happening in this next few weeks. These are designed to clean out the communication channels between you and God so that you can listen to Jesus and hear what he says about who you are and what you are to do. And I really hope that every single one of you can join us for a retreat in the coming weeks. Because point number six, the teleos of the church is mature functioning in the fullness of God, generating love to the whole world. That's what we're doing here, people. Listen to what Paul says in in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then jumping down to 15. To grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now the teleos is the Greek word in verse 13 that's translated maturity. Teleos means fullness. It means goal. It means purpose. The teleos of an acorn is an oak tree. The teleos of a graduate student is sufficient mastery of a subject. What's the teleos of the Super Bowl this afternoon? We don't know. But the teleos of the church... The teleos of the church is not to have good coffee and a good sermon and great music and a good kids and teens program. The teleos, the goal of the church, is to express the fullness of God's generative love to the entire world in every aspect of our culture, in every place you find yourself, in every day this week. Now, some of you are new to the church. You're new to Christianity. Maybe you're here because a friend invited you. Well, your friend didn't invite you for the coffee. Your friend invited you for the opportunity to join a community that has a vision to fill the world with the truth and the justice and the love and the very presence and power of God who created everything. That's why your friends have invited you here today. And others of you have been at church here for a long time and you kind of get used to this rhythm and you've started thinking that being part of a church is just about showing up on Sunday and a small group on Thursday. Well, no, that's not what the Apostle Paul says the church is about. We live as the body of Christ on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. Back to Irene Chu. 
Yes, she's a functioning member of the body of Christ on Wednesday night as a youth leader. Absolutely. But she's also a functioning member of the body of Christ as she does her work as a state prosecutor. As she relates with her colleagues. As she interacts with her parents and siblings and nieces and nephews. When she's buying groceries at Trader Joe's. FBC, most of our church's ministry is done outside of 38141 Russell Boulevard. I don't know if we can handle this. But the more than meets the eye reality is almost as if the church is the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the world now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we handle that? The purpose of the church is to be present in our world in all the ways we see Jesus present in the Gospels. The purpose of our church is to be present in the world in all the ways that the Holy Spirit directs us. I've got five more sermons to preach on this subject. But you'll have to work this out in your small groups with your friends this week by answering this one question. The one question is, how would Jesus go about my work if he were sitting in my chair? How would Jesus speak to this person if he were standing in my shoes? Note takers, are you still with me? Point number seven. Obviously then, foreign objects like evil schemes, false teachings, etc. are damaging and should be resisted. Look at verse 14. So that we may... Paul writes, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. All these damage the body and hinder the goal. Doug Gross has traveled around the world to provide training and to set up medical systems in other countries. And he has seen firsthand a medical phenomenon that we could easily imagine. People in different ecosystems, with different social structures, with different disease vectors, are affected by different diseases and different pollutants, depending on where you live in this world. This means that malaria is prevalent in the tropics, but not in the Arctic. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what are the diseases in Davis? Now, we like to think we're pretty perfect in Davis. So you might have thought, we don't have any diseases or pollutants in Davis. But that's just not true. What are the pollutants that we're exposed to? And how is God calling us to resist them? This requires the Holy Spirit giving you and your small group wisdom. This requires your small group carefully examining your beliefs alongside Scripture. This requires action to resist everything that is contrary to Jesus Christ. Point number eight goes along with that. And, obviously, division is damaging and should be highly resisted. So, uh, what happens when um, you lose a limb from your body? Or when communication between the brain gets interrupted? Or an organ stops functioning? If you've been around the church for long enough you know that the church doesn't function as a perfect body. In fact, the church always functions as a diseased body. And Paul highlights disunity as a chief ailment. 
What happens to the body of Christ when it loses its unity? It loses its functionality. You know, according to Wikipedia, there are 66 Baptist denominations in North America, not to mention all the other Baptist denominations around the world, not to mention all the other denominations around the world. And I know there's some positives about denominations. They all express different aspects of the infinite God, but there's also some negatives. And a lot of denominations were formed out of a lot of disunity. Look at what Paul says in verse uh, 3 of chapter 4. He says this. Uh, in, in verse 2, with all humility, uh, ungentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did you catch the imperative verb that Paul uses in verse 3 to describe how we're supposed to pursue unity? The imperative verb is to be eager. Now, in Greek, the word is a present active participle. And present active participles mean continuous activity, not something you do one time, and it's active. It's not passive and you let it happen to you. Eager to pursue unity the, the theologian Marcus Barth, son of the great uh, theologian Karl Barth, he writes this. He says, it is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb. Not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole person is meant, involving her will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative move of the participle found in the Greek text excludes passivity, quietism, or a wait-and-see attitude. Just as if your arm was getting cut off or you lost a finger and you were trying to save it, you would make every effort to save that part of your body. This is why if you've joined me for our membership class or our chai and chocolate meet and greets that we've had, I say that one of the goals of our church is to be united around Jesus in the middle of all our diversity. I, see that, I say there are people here who have voted for Donald Trump, and there are people here who voted for Joe Biden, and they're sitting in the same chair rows. There are people here who are really rich, and there are people here who are really poor. There are people here from all over the world. There are people here who think God blesses same-sex marriage, and there are people here who think God does not bless same-sex marriage. There are people here of all sorts of different places on the political map, and we are gathered here in the same chair rows, centered around Jesus Christ, submitting our lives to his teaching. That's why we're here. This is why every Sunday morning in the fireside room at 9.30, even this morning, people gather together to pray for what God is going to do here at our church, and we also pray that God blesses every other church in Davis because we're all united. There is only one church in Davis, is there not? And what's more important, or what is, sorry, what is more than meets the eye is that there is really only one church. And Paul is pointing out what is true regardless of our current practice and telling us that we should act like it's true. We should be eager to pursue it because it is true. He says every Christian prays only to one God. Everyone who's baptized, regardless of if you get baptized Catholic or Anglican or Methodist or Pentecostal or Baptist, there is one baptism. Jesus has only one body. Let me say it again. There is only one church in Davis, and it's the body of Christ. I'm reminded of the author Lisa Bowens. 
and her description of Charles Harrison Mason. Mason was born uh, to freed slaves in 1864 in Tennessee. Um, And in her book, Bowens writes in in African-American readings of Paul, she describes how Pastor Mason preached over and over on these verses in Ephesians in the context of racial divisions that were in America at the start of the 1900s. He would say, God's church is made one of every nation, tongue, and people that are on the face of the earth. And Bowens writes that no matter the earthly realities, they could not negate the truth of the gospel to speak the language of unity in the midst of a nation filled with racial division. And if you are part of FBC, Paul says, be eager to live a life of unity in a culture filled with division because we actually already are united by Jesus Christ. So point number nine. The way we resist disunity is through humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. Listen to verse one. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Did you notice that self-righteousness didn't make the list? Ignoring and covering up problems didn't make the list. Nursing grudges and spreading rumors didn't make the list either. What makes the list of ways to protect the body of Christ is one of my friends in our church coming to me this past week and gently telling me that he's noticed that I sometimes get passive-aggressive when things don't go my way. And I did it to him recently, and it hurt. And he spoke the truth and love to me with humility and gentleness and patience. That's what makes the list. What makes the list is the people who have been in our church for decades and have incredible forbearance as they've endured all sorts of things that they don't like about the FBC. And yet they stay and they gently work to influence and use their God-given gifts to keep us connected to Jesus and his mission in the world. What makes the list is our high school girls small group led by Irene Chu, really thoughtfully wrestling with what the culture says and what scripture says about sexuality and abortion and gender. That's what makes the list. And point number 10. All of this is held together by Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 especially Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 3. Because when you feel like this whole body church mission is impossible, and you'll feel like that if you try it for long enough, when you feel like this is impossible, just flip back. Read chapters 1 to 3 again. Memorize Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, that prayer of Paul. Make it your heart cry. And once you've memorized that section, go ahead and and memorize Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 14. And then while you're there, you might as well keep going for the rest of chapter 1. Soak in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Here are the indicatives of all that God is doing for us to create this unity. I, Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Urge is a strong desire when the outcome is uncertain. I, Neil, 
urge you, FBC, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I'm captivated by Paul's vision of the church. It's what I live for. It's what I wake up in the morning for, that each of us doing our God-given work brings so much goodness and glory and love of Jesus into our world. I long for it to be true of your experience. So let me close with a very serious offer. Take time to sit with these passages and these 10 points. And then contact one of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and preachers at FBC. And meet them for coffee. And explore the ways God is gifting you to work and serve. They're here to equip. It's worth 30 minutes of your time to grab coffee and take the next steps of exploring the vital role that Jesus has for you in his body. So let's pray. For this reason, we bow our knees for the Heavenly Father from whom the whole world drives its name. And we ask Jesus that you as the head give life to us as the body. For our life, for the life of the whole world. 